uh, every ministry that my wife and I ever oversaw, it always grew, and it didn't grow by transfer growth, as they call it, which is just people coming from other churches, young people coming from other churches to join ours. Ours grew actually by evangelism, by the young people going out and inviting their friends and their family uh, to come. And when we came here to Harrisburg, we tried to implement many of the strategies that had worked for a good 15 years in St. Louis, in the inner city, and everything that we tried here in Harrisburg would not work. The atmosphere is completely different. Our nation was completely different. Um, when we started in 1987, uh, America was very different 30 years ago. So it wasn't just a regional difference. We have a completely different society. When you knock on people's doors, they're not open at all, not only to the gospel, but not to anything. Uh, due to social media, uh, uh, human beings have lost the ability to interact and to really talk to one another. If you've seen what we've seen, people sitting in restaurants with their phones and not actually talking to each other. We've lost the ability to actually be able to engage with one another. And that's happening on a family level, that's happening amongst neighbors, that's even happening amongst friends. And when you include the stirring up of various political and social agendas that have invaded this country, then our nation is very much polarized. And so we've been seeking the Lord of how to break through, how do we actually Win, win souls and disciple souls in a completely different America, a different urban America, a different suburban America, a different rural America. How do you minister in this? And the Lord kept taking us back to the original word that he gave us before we were sent to this community 17 years ago. And that was, he told us right from the beginning, I'm sending you there to rebuild restore and renew hearts and homes. And for a long time, we were operating in a strategy that we thought would work, but it really wasn't working. A few people would come, the numbers would grow just a little bit, and then it would dwindle back down. But something kept happening. We, every time we'd meet in our homes, we'd have powerful moves of God, and people would open up and talk, and, um, and we watched lives change through very personal um, interaction and people able to open up in a safe place. But being a pastor, I kept wanting to get out into a building. So we get out into a building and then nothing would happen. We go back into the house and things would really go great. And then we go back into a building and same things would happen. It would not work and we'd go back into the house. I'm like, wait a minute, it took me 10 years, but finally, finally it got through that the early church met not only in corporately and in community, but they met also house to house. And the Lord began to put emphasis for us that for, uh, for the, for the uh, generation that we're working with and for in particularly the community that he sent us to, we're going to, we were gonna have to put more emphasis on small groups and house church. And I know many people shy away from those words, small groups and house churches, because they've been burned there, they've been hurt there. But I'm telling you, people have been burned and hurt in big, large groups too. <laughs> um, so it's not one or the other. 
we've got to learn now how to do both and because that's what the early church did. The Bible says that they met house to house and in the temple. And in order for us to really get them into the temple setting, the corporate setting, we're now learning that we've got to start with people with the small group and with the house church because they must have a safe place where they can talk and they can um, really open up with what's going on in their lives. We have a generation that doesn't really know how to talk and interact with one another, much less sit in a setting like this and listen to one person talk. One of the hints that I got of, that the Lord was sending us in this direction was uh, for a long time we were meeting in a facility in Harrisburg and it was a cafeteria. And so we took advantage of the cafeteria and would have breakfast every morning before getting started. That was fun. <laughs> have some breakfast and then open up for conversation. We did something that was called Life Tree Cafe, which is a discussion. Everyone sitting at tables and one person, it would be me most of the time, just kind of moderating and leading a discussion, but letting the discussion take place at the tables. Instead of it being a lecture, bring up various questions and let the people, various topics, and let them discuss and talk about it at their tables. Wow, can you imagine doing that on a Sunday morning? Yeah. But it was working. <laughs> and I share all of this to say to you that uh, uh, that's the direction that we're just going with that. We're moving with that. I, and I can't stand, stand here right now and tell you that we know how all of this is going to work out. The Lord took us out of our building, and he also had me and my wife to get certified as life coaches. So in Harrisburg, we're known as community life coaches, not as pastors. Wow, talk about missionary work. In fact, the Lord had to change our mindset about working in Harrisburg, that we were not just simply sent there to plant a church, but, as, but to be urban missionaries, the same way friends of ours that we know of have gone into India and Pakistan and various places in Africa and Asia, and they had to go in as professionals, as teachers, as attorneys, as uh, architects, as engineers, and and uh, get into the society and learn about the people and then uh, getting incorporated into people's lives. We had to take that mindset for inner city work. And you say, why would a black couple have to go through all of that in inner city? Wouldn't they just be accepted because they're black? No, because everything has so drastically changed that if they don't recognize your face, if they don't know who you are, your ethnicity no longer is an automatic in that doesn't automatically qualify you to be able to speak into someone's life. You must now earn the right to speak into someone's life because many people have been burned and hurt by their family members and friends and coworkers and colleagues. And, and so there's a lot of distrust. So now we're learning how to be fishers of men, which takes time. Sometimes you can wonder, what's, the, what's our hairy? <laughs> in the body of Christ. What's the hurry? Why are we in such a big hurry? It takes time. I don't know how many of you are, are fishermen. 
actual fisherman. I, I went fishing once. I'm a city kid. I went fishing once. That was enough for me. <laughs> but but we were there all day long. And we were just sitting and waiting. What are we waiting for? It takes so long. <laughs> And actually caught a lot of a lot of fish. My dad caught a lot of stuff. We just watched him. <laughs> and and now when I hear the words of Jesus, follow me, and I'll make you to become fishers of men, I have a little bit better idea of what it means to be a fisher of men. It takes so long, and there's a lot of waiting and a lot of silence and being quiet and you can't scare the fish away. <laughs> and a lot of what we, what used to be successful back in the 90s, today it scares the fish away. It's too loud, it's too noisy, it's too abrupt. And it doesn't work anymore. And so we found ourselves having to change a lot in order to minister today. So as community life coaches, the Lord got us into an unemployment center, Pennsylvania Career Link. We were there once a month uh, just encouraging people uh, who had lost their jobs and they were devastated. Um, and ours became the most, uh, most popul populate, populated, is that the good word, uh, workshop out of them all because we weren't because we weren't just simply talking about here's how to write a new resume and here's how to interview better on your job. We actually just got into the hurt and the pain that people are feeling when they're sitting there in an interview unable to concentrate. The Lord had us to go there with it and that led to us um, eventually God put us into working with, in a women's transitional housing shelter. And there we're still serving today, coaching women one-on-one -on -one and also coaching the, the staff. The executive director asked us to begin to train the staff into how to better serve people, to get away from the case management uh, mindset of just simply shuffling people through because we, you're, we got you on a program and a regiment and just get you through the program, but to actually take the time to get to know people and understand people and walking through life with them. It's a, it's a phrase we use a lot more in the church today, let's do life together. Actually, that should not have been a new phrase for the church. That should have been our part of the DNA for us uh, all along. But we got away from that, uh, especially during the 80s. You know, when, when America went into this total, even before that, America went into this total selfish mode and, and self-centered mode. And, um, and it's a lot of what we're looking at today. Pastor Paul, as you were just talking and sharing, you didn't know, you, you, you confirmed something that we wanted to say to you guys. And I'm sharing all of this with you, not to glorify uh, me and Carol, but to thank you for your support because what's been happening for us in Harrisburg, we could not be doing it if it wasn't for you guys. I'm, I'm telling you, your, your, your fellowship, uh, coming here every month, your fellowship means the world to us. We talk about you, don't we, Mom? Every time we're driving off and like we just love it when we go to the barn. We need that fellowship. Uh, and, um, and, we, and the financial support 
the prayer support. You could not do this if you did not have people praying for you. You could not. We're in one of the most dangerous areas of Harrisburg, and so we don't take it for granted going in and out of those buildings <laughs> and our car remaining safe and our, and our, our ourselves remaining safe. You have to have people that are praying for you. And so I shared all of that to say thank you so much. There is so much that you are doing that means so much. And it's behind the scenes. Nobody knows anything about it, but God knows. 23 years ago, the Lord gave me this little song. Carol and I were serving as youth pastors of the church in St. Louis. Um, south side of St. Louis, not many people knowing much about what we were doing. We were meeting with kids um, in the fellowship hall of our church. We started off here, I can't believe I'm about to say this, when we first took over the youth ministry, the first thing we did was took all of the kids out of the church building and we said, let's meet in our home. Wow, can you imagine running a youth ministry out of your home? But it's because most of those kids didn't have a mom or a dad, or in some cases, both. So we bring them into our house and we tell their parents, drop them off there. They could go on to the church building and then come back and pick them up. And kids would sit all around our living room and dining room and everywhere and we'd have fun and play games and talk and answer their questions and then pray for these kids. And then the Lord put us years later over the singles, the young adults and the singles. And this past weekend, as we were celebrating 30 years of ministry, a young lady came up to me and Carol after service, and she said, I was able to, uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to meet my birth mother. I'm 58 years old, and I'm about to meet my birth mother. And of course, we're asking, okay, that's great, but why are you telling us that? Some of you, you just did that. Like, okay, so why are you telling us that? She said, because uh, back when you guys were over the singles ministry, um, she said, I used to come. And when I came to this church, I was divorced and I was broken. I was battered. And she said, I would just watch you guys. I would just watch your marriage, your relationship. And it gave me hope. Said, I was born out of an adulterous affair so that my mom rejected me and I was abandoned. So I've never had any contact with my birth family. And she said, one time during the 30 days of prayer and fasting, and, and our pastor would do that every year. We started the year with 30 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, and she said, one of those years during the times of prayer and fasting, you and your wife prayed for me and gave me a word and it changed my life. She said, now all these years later, God's been healing me ever since. And recently, I got in contact with my birth mother. I found her, and I was able to tell her, I forgive you. I hold nothing against you. And she said, if I had met her before that time, it wouldn't have gone well because I was bitter and in unforgiveness. But she said, I just wanted you guys to know that because of you, I'm now able to meet my birth, my birth mother and my birth family. And she said, you never know how God is using you. And you just said that. That's what triggered that thought. Because what you just did in, in uh, helping the Lap brothers and the Amish and what you've been doing for years and years 
Cumberland Valley, I want you to know that there are people with testimonies and stories like that all over this region, all over this country, dare I say it, even all over the world. Nobody will know. Here's the words that the Lord gave me in that song. Nobody will know, but God won't forget it. Those things done in secret, no fame or acclaim. Nobody will know, but you won't regret it because he's keeping a record of what's done in his name. Come on, give the Lord praise. So even though we don't normally do this, the Lord just kind of put it in my heart to come and encourage you today in this. Because what, when we give these testimonies about what's happening in Harrisburg, that's because of how you've sown into us. When you, in many stories you may never hear. I've loved the stories that I've heard Pastor Paul share with us. I love the stories that Gene has shared with us. But across this room, there are stories of how you, God has used you to touch somebody's life. I want to read the lyrics to this song so that as we sing it, we don't normally sing when we come. When we first used to come, we used to sing every time. Uh, this time, I, uh, so the, the Lord, wanted, I felt he wanted us to share this song with you before I share the word. And it's a brief word that I wanted to give you today. The name of this song is called Nobody Will Know. And each one of these verses comes from an actual incident uh, in our home church that we experienced or someone that we knew experienced. The first verse comes from the story, the testimony of a young couple in our youth ministry. Her cousin was dying in the hospital, so they went to go and see him. And they got a chance to lead him to the Lord, even though he was so sick that he couldn't talk. They had to literally do the just blink once for yes, blink twice for no in order to communicate with him. And they were able to lead him to the Lord. They said as, he, as they just prayed the sinner's prayer and they said, now, do you agree? And he just blinked and they said his just tears began to roll down his face. And they said they had planned after they left the hospital, they planned to come back the next day to see him. But between that time and the next day, he passed away. He just made it in because of this young couple. And nobody knew anything about it. It didn't happen on television. <laughs> no great testimonies or anything. The only people that they told about it was us, their youth pastors. And then the next verse comes from, I remember there was a brother in our church. He served over our benevolence ministry. And he's a Latino brother. Him and his wife were both from Puerto Rico, somehow ended up in Missouri uh, through his job. And uh, he served over our benevolence ministry, overseeing that. And he, he called one night. There was a big celebration. I don't know what was going on at the church. I remember hearing the celebration in the fellowship hall. And, and he called the church, and I picked up the phone, and he was crying. And he told me, he said, my wife was just diagnosed with HIV and she's been given six months to live. Now, the rest of the story is that before they got saved, they were heavy drug users. And so, from if you may remember back in those days, if you got the HIV diagnosis or the AIDS diagnosis, it was a death sentence immediately. Because there really, really wasn't a lot of medications and anything available. Only thing you could do was ask for prayer. And so even though they had given their hearts to the Lord, how many of you know that sometimes people are still suffering the consequences of their sinful life even after they get saved? 
And so I remember that moment of hearing this man on, I'm holding the phone, he's crying. I'm hearing someone crying on one side and on the other side I hear this celebration and going on in the fellowship hall. What a weird moment. That man just simply believed God. He asked us to pray and we joined together in prayer. And I want you to know that that woman not only lived more than six months, she's still alive today. (laughs) And then the third verse comes from just the Lord kind of opening up a revelation. Uh, I thought about how when Jesus was walking into the city, riding on the little colt, how there were people who came and as the Bible says, they took palm branches and some took their coats their cloaks and laid it out before him. And I thought about the people who, who uh, did that and they really meant it, but the moment passed by and we don't know their names. We don't know the names of any of the people that worship Jesus in that special way, but God kept the record of it. Yeah. And he kind of put it to me this way. I'll go through each one of the verses and I'm saying it to you now so you understand what we're singing. First verse, a husband and his wife at the hospital today prayed for a cousin whose life was fading away. They led him in a prayer to let Jesus in his life. Silent tears said, thank you. Then he closed his eyes. The other brother I just talked about, a call came in one night that she has six months of life. So he cried out to God for his ailing wife. Though no one knew the burden, never once did he complain. God heard the secret prayer, restored health again. Hosanna in the highest, the crowd called out one day. Jesus rode into the city, and he was coming my way. I laid out my best for his triumph alone. The colt trampled my garment, and the moment was gone. And then the course, nobody will know, but God won't forget it. Those things done in secret, no fame or acclaim. Nobody will know, but you won't regret it. He's keeping a record of what's done in his name. Thank you, Lord.
just felt led to encourage you with that he's keeping a record God's keeping a record thank you Lord I want you to turn in your Bibles with us this morning to second Chronicles the seventh chapter most of us are very very familiar with this passage of scripture and we felt led of the Lord to share this with you because of what we are watching right now happening in our nation and all over the world. I feel like we would be very remiss if we did not bring God's perspective and a balanced perspective to what's happening in our nation. From Hurricane Harvey to now uh, hitting in Texas to now Hurricane Irma, right now, even as we speak, um, hitting the state of Florida. Uh, California is on fire. Oregon is on fire. Uh, Pakistan, India, various parts, Niger are in floods, mudslides. We've got disasters happening all over the world right now. And I don't believe that uh, we should just go on and act like nothing is happening. Do you know what I mean? Yes, that's exactly and at the same time, I don't believe that it is the church's role and responsibility to come out and start condemning the world and telling them, uh, you know, you deserve this. This is God's judgment and all of that. Because um, even though, yes, I do believe that we are living in the last days and Jesus told us it would be this way. That is not the message that he intended that the church come forth with when things happen. You already have people questioning uh, if this is a loving God or not, and we don't help it by compounding it, by coming out saying something to the world that really is a message for us, the church. It's a message to us. He said, Pastor Chris, where did you get that from? I'm going to show it to you as we look at 2 Chronicles, the 7th chapter. Many of you are familiar with this. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. It says, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. 
and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And this is referring to Solomon um, praying at the completion of the building of the temple. They're dedicating the temple to the Lord, and this awesome moment is captured. Verse 2 says, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord. They couldn't enter what? The house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. Anybody understand that it took some time? This took a whole lot of time. <laughs> so the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. And the priests attended to their services, the Levites also with instruments of the music of the Lord, which King David had made to praise the Lord, saying, for his mercy endures forever. Whenever David offered praise by their ministry, the priests sounded trump trumpets opposite them while all Israel stood. Verse seven. Furthermore, Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord. For there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings because of the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat. Verse 8, at that time Solomon kept the feast seven days and all Israel with him, a very great assembly from the entrance of the Hamath of the brook of Egypt, and on the eighth day, they held a sacred assembly, for they observed the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents, joyful and glad of heart for the good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people Israel. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to, to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. Verse 12, now we're getting to it. But I needed to lay all of that foundation because many times when we read Second Chronicles 7, we go straight to verse 14. But we need all of that background to understand the context of 714. Verse 12 says, then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. This was actually the second time that the Lord appeared to Solomon and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence upon my people. Who did he say? My people. Who did he say? My people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven 
and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I covenanted with David your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. But if, everybody say, but if. But if. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land. Whose land? He said, my land, which I have given them, and this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and this house? Now, this was talking about the land of Israel, and it was talking about the house of the Lord that had been built, which did happen historically. Exactly what God told it would happen, it did happen. But I want to give some prophetic understanding for what's going on in our world today, in particular here in America, because he says, um, and let me read verse 21 again. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land? And this house. America has prided itself for a long time of being the land that, that God has ordained and established and he's placed his people there, that, that, and the people, that's his house. Because it's not buildings, as we all know. Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So when we're talking about what's going on in this land and in this house, just look at what's going on in our nation. And God said he would allow it because of, the, because of his people turning to other gods. He already knew how the world's going to respond. In fact, they're not turning to other gods. They already, they're already there. So what's happening in America, that's why we don't have the right. What are we doing yelling at the gays and yelling at the folks who are getting abortions and all of that about what's going on? That's not the reason why this is happening. What did God say? My people. We're the one turn and worship other gods. We're the ones. It's us. As I've been watching various responses to the hurricanes, and I know believers really mean well. I know we do. But one of the things that we've gotten so out of balance with is the authority of believers and speaking things and claiming things and declaring things instead of always starting with the actual, the actual pattern of faith 
You know, the actual pattern of faith is not starting off with what we want God to do and then telling God to do it. I know that the preachers have told us that on television for years, but that's not the pattern of faith. The pattern of faith always begins with God speaks first. God speaks first. The pattern of faith is number one, insight from God. Number two, agreement with God. We agree with what he says. And number three, then obey. Do what he says. But after 30 years, 40 years of us starting with the errant teaching of we begin with by telling God what we want. Then we grab a scripture and tell God why he has to do it. Why is Pastor Chris saying this? Because that's embracing other gods. That's witchcraft. That's what you do in witchcraft. You determine how you want the situation to go, and then you call on a deity, a supernatural being, to make that happen. That's witchcraft. We set ourselves up as God. And so there are believers who, as the hurricanes were approaching, went out and stood out on beaches and tried to rebuke the hurricanes instead of getting on our faces in repentance. This is not the hour of standing up. I rebuke this in the name of Jesus. No, 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 no. Because we turn to other gods. And these calamities are coming up on us. Let me go ahead and read the rest of it so you hear what I'm saying. Verse 21, as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and this house? Then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, here's the word of God, not Pastor Chris, the word of God, not Pastor Chris. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. Because we haven't understood what faith is, now in the moment of calamity, we're standing up and, and invoking God to stop the hurricane instead of doing first things first. God, we repent. We repent. That's the first step. The first step for what's going on in America right now is we repent. We get on our faces. No, we don't want to see calamity happen. No, we don't want to see thousands of people lose property and lose lives. No, we don't want to see that. But we don't start by standing up and quote our authority to rebuke the winds and waves when we haven't done first things first. God, we repent. We turned away from you. We embrace doctrines of demons. We begin to worship ourselves. We set ourselves up. You're right, Pastor Paul. We set ourselves up as God. We declare the word. Yes, I believe in decreeing. Yes, I believe in declaring. But I want you to know that even the teaching concerning uh, how we uh, 
loose. Whatever, whatever is bound in heaven, we can bind on earth. Whatever is loosed in heaven is loosed in earth. And I want you to understand that the actual Greek translation of that phrase is not we bind first and then God binds. We loose first and then God loose. It's just the opposite. The actual Greek language is this. We will bind what has already been bound in heaven. We will loose what heaven has already loosed. It means we always wait to get daddy's word first. Then we echo. We always echo what the father says. We always do what we see the father doing. Where did we get off with the idea that we can do something even Jesus didn't do? He said, I only say what I hear my father saying. I only do what I hear my father doing. So part of the reason why we're at this level of calamity, not only with weather, but in education and in government and in finances and our relationships is because we have been saying things that God's not saying. We've been doing things that God's not doing. We've been invoking his name, but it hasn't been his word. We've been more like those seven sons of Sceva. Anybody remember that story? Seven guys trying to cast the devil out of a guy. That guy said, or the demon in them said, Jesus I know, Paul I know. Who are you? You can't just come at this just saying the name. That demon threw that man, beat them off. The Bible says they was running, he had stripped them. Beat them, beat the clothes off. <laughs> That's one story to show you what's going on in our nation. I've heard many that have said the church has lost its power. And I go a little bit step further and I said the church has lost its ear. We don't hear God anymore. Right now, we tell God how we want things to go. When there's calamity, we immediately stand up and say, I rebuke the calamity instead of stopping Stopping and saying, God, what's going on here? What's going on here? How do we need to respond? And see, in our humanness, we'll start trying to reason it out. Well, we don't want anybody to be hurt. We don't want any death to come. And of course we don't. But we still need to stop and ask. Don't go off of human reasoning and just go, because we don't want to see anybody hurt, let's rebuke. No. Because I don't want to see anybody hurt, let's repent. Let's repent. I heard that uh, there were some believers in Florida, on the eastern side of Florida, that gathered on the shores and began to rebuke and pray against the storm. But there were some believers in Puerto Rico. They didn't lift their hands and rebuke. They got down on their faces on the beach. They got down on their faces in repentance for their nation. 
that's the right response. See, we as Americans, we done got to the point we think we got all the answers. We got all, you know, we got all the the store, you know, the strong men and women of God with TV programs, and we've been sending people to the nations for years to evangelize the world. And I want you guys to know, not only has things changed, this is how drastically things have changed. America no longer sends the majority of missionaries and pastors and evangelists to the world. Did you know that the world is sending preachers and evangelists and missionaries here? Why? Because we don't know God. We don't hear God. We tell God what to do in America. I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about the world. We tell God what to do. And we tell them that in the name of his son, he has to do it. Because some television preacher told us that we have authority. But do you understand that the, in the in the essence of talking about authority, when the centurion came and asked Jesus for help for his servant, this guy didn't just say, I'm a man with authority. He didn't just say, I know, this is, I know that Jesus, if you just speak a word, he didn't just say, I know it's going to happen because I'm a man with authority. He said, because I'm a man under authority. And because I'm a man under authority, I know that if you speak a word, it will happen. So while we put emphasis on believers having authority, what we really should have been understanding is that we are a people under authority. And when you're under authority, you don't stand up boldly and make declarations and decrees. You always start with, what do you want? Daddy, what do you want? God, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? Because I know since I'm under your authority, whatever you tell me. Can you see, see where your faith builds up as soon as I said it? Whatever you tell me. See, because if I'm only thinking about my authority, I'm really not sure if this word is going to come to pass. Because it's me. But when I understand I'm under authority, and I feel the preacher coming out of me this morning. <laughs> when I understand I'm under authority, then I know it's not me. And I know that the one who's speaking it, it is done. And all he's asking me to do is to repeat what he said. Remember back in the days, especially those of us who had good relations with our father. Remember the how how confident you were when you could say my daddy said <laughs> my daddy said well that's what our faith is really supposed to be we're able to say for every sickness and every disease and even in the midst of my divorce and the disaster happening in my life I can always go to my daddy said Yes, Lord God. So when I make the declaration, it's not coming out of my flesh. It's not coming out of my intellect. It's not even coming out of my fear. Some of these declarations and decrees that are being made, guys, are coming from fear. 
Folks are afraid of what might happen and what could happen. So I'm just going to grab a scripture and start quoting and saying stuff instead of humble ourselves. Isn't that what the Lord told Solomon? If my people, which are called by my name, step one, humble yourself. Pray. Seek my face. Turn from your wicked ways. Then I'm going to hear. Thank you, Lord. Tomorrow is 9-11. I find it interesting that once again in the 9-11 season, we have calamity striking our nation. I don't know if you guys realize that. Tomorrow's 9-11. And on 9-11, some people are going to be experiencing in the southeast portion of this country another 9-11 type of experience. The reason why I say that is because the word of the Lord said here that he would cause the house, the calamity to be of such for the people of God that they would become a byword and a proverb, which means that you'll just simply be able to say a certain word and everybody will know what that means. That's why I can say 9-11, and I don't have to explain anything else. 9-11 is a byword. And here's God saying to his people, if you, turn to the, if you turn to these other gods and turn to this other way, I will allow the house, I'll allow my house to become a byword. I think it's time for repentance, don't you? 16 years ago after 9-11, the Lord gave me this song, and I'm going to try to end, first closing, right? I'm going to try to end by giving you this prophetic word that the Lord gave me in the form of a song, of a song. I won't sing it. I'll just give you, read the words to you because I believe this is what's necessary for us in this hour. And I want to take the time as we close the day to pray, to repent, and to pray for uh, the folks in Texas and Florida, California, Oregon, our nation, and around the world who are experiencing this because the answer, I believe, is for the church to pray, for the church to repent and pray. The song slash poem goes like this, and I believe it's a prophetic word. He says, I was driving, this was a couple of days after 9-11-2001. I was driving in my car, taking my boys to school. I turned on the radio to catch up on the news. I listened to horrible sounds of tragedy and loss. Something about planes crashing. It was like the Holocaust. This is a warning for a nation turned from God in all his ways, crying, wailing in America today. I hurried home to see it on my TV screen. It happened right before us, nothing like we'd ever seen. I held my wife's hand as the tears filled in her eyes. I was trembling all over as the spirit said inside, this is a warning for a nation turned from God in all his ways, crying, wailing in America today. Will I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? This comes from Jeremiah. 
who disregard the poor and ignore the fatherless. The blood of unborn babies cries to me each day as evil men get richer and paraded in my face. This is a warning for a nation turned from God in all his ways, crying, wailing in America today. Will I not avenge myself on a nation such as this, where prophets lie for income, preach of money and success, while souls pour into hell by the thousands every day. My church is working for wealth, popularity, and fame. This is a warning for a nation turned from God in all his ways, crying, wailing in America today. Will I not avenge myself on a nation such as this, where just like lusty stallions, they chase the adulteress, and then they boast in pride, say destruction we won't see, but a nation from afar will bring you to your knees. This is a warning for a nation turned from God in all his ways, crying, wailing in America today. And this was the actual event in our response. We called the church to pray. And when the people came in the place, fear was in some eyes, pain was on each face. We fell on our knees cried to God in repentance. Lord, purify our hearts of sin, leave no traces. This is travailing for the church to turn to God in all his ways, crying, wailing for America today. Would you join in with me right now? Lord, we answer the call and we bow down in our, on our faces before you. We repent of every way in which we have adopted the witchcraft teachings in our hearts, even when we did it ignorantly. Yes. We repent, Lord God, and we turn back to the way you said it should be, where we hear your voice. And we obey your word. Lord, we cry out for the folks who are in Florida right now yes, with the hurricane blowing. We cry out in repentance. Yes, Have mercy, O oh Lord. <laughs> Have mercy, O oh God. I hear the cry and the complaint of those who are saying, how could this happen to so many innocent lives? But we haven't looked at the 3,000 innocent babies that have been aborted every single day for 40 years. We have aborted 3,000 innocent lives every single day. We deserve it. But God, we ask for mercy. Give us another opportunity to get it right. Yes, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Have mercy, oh God. 
Yes, Lord God. Lord, let your revival come into the church in our nation. Get our eyes off of just simply surviving and just trying to make it from day to day. Give us your heart for loss, for the lost. The people who are all around us, give us your heart. Give us your heart for lost souls. Make us fishers of men again. Thank you, Lord God. Turn the sermons and pulpits across this nation's across this nation from just being messages of inspiration and messages to just make people feel good about themselves. Turn our messages, Lord God, to your word, to your heartbeat for lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. May your church be awakened in every single state in America. Thank you, Lord. Just as you're sitting, in whatever state the Lord brings to your heart, just call it, just call it out. Thank you, Lord. Let California be, the church in California be awakened. Let the church in Idaho be awakened. Come on, just call them out. Thank you, Lord. Let the church in Alaska be awakened. Let the, let the church in Missouri be awakened. The church in Oklahoma be awakened. Whatever one God puts on your heart, just call it out. Call the church out. May they be awakened. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Let them be awakened. Thank you, Lord. As you can tell, this has nothing to do with black and white and Latino. None of that does it. We're just talking about the church being awakened. Let revival spark forth out of, out of all that's happening, God. Let your church be awakened all across this nation. Thank you, Lord. God, you said that Pennsylvania is a keystone state. May we step into your true purpose that you gave William Penn when he came and claimed this land for your glory and for your name's sake. God, this man did it right. He didn't come and take the land from the natives of this, of this soil. God, he bought it. He bought it rightfully and fairly. God, he preached your word. He lived your word. And that seed has been sown here, God. So let it come forth in this hour. Your intention for Pennsylvania, let it come forth in this hour. Yes, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. And all pride and give us humility, Lord Jesus. Forgive us of our arrogance, our prideful ways, Lord Jesus. And let us be humble before you. Oh, Lord Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So I would encourage you as friends and family, talk to you about the hurricanes and the earthquakes and all that's going on in the world. Don't go into a discussion about judgment. Take the discussion to, we just need to repent. We just need to repent. The church needs to repent the believers, those who call on the name of the Lord, those who proclaim to be followers of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Don't offer your opinion about it. Just tell them, well, all I know is I'm supposed to repent. I'm supposed to ask the Lord for mercy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless the Lord, our God. Bless the Lord, our God.
thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your hand of mercy upon this nation. We lift up our president. We lift up the cabinet. <laughs> we lift up every senator, every representative at the federal level, at every state level, every governor, every mayor, every single one that does not know you, that has no relationship with you, God, we pray that by your spirit, you would move throughout the halls of Congress, through chambers, through mayor's offices. Yes, Lord God. Lord, we see in your word that you had a way of speaking to the ungodly and getting through to them when they wouldn't hear anybody else. So God, move upon our nation. We don't want to wait until it's too late. Yes, Lord God. Invade their dreams. <laughs> God, if you can speak to Muslim people in dreams, God, certainly you can speak to people that are our representatives and our politicians. Invade their dreams, God. Make them aware that you are real. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. My God, today, we bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I don't usually even think about this, but God, all of our military leaders, <laughs> speak to them, oh God. May they not only respond out of their military training, but give them an ear to hear, to hear your voice. Thank you, Lord, an ear to hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand today. Bless the Lord, our God. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. I just sense the, the burden of the Lord for our nation today. I'm trying to stop, but I just feel it so strongly today that this is the way. It's to humble ourselves. To humble ourselves. So don't get into any battles with friends and family about what's going on. Don't even try to, don't try to defend God because there are a lot of people angry with God right now. But let's take it to this is the response. I'm just going to repent. I'm going to humble myself. I'm not going to try to deal. The Bible even tells us that. I'm not going to try to deal with stuff. Some stuff is too high. I don't, it's too high for me. I don't know all of the reasons why. I, I can't get into the infinite wisdom and, and the omnipresence and the omniscience of God. All I know is he tells me to respond this way. Humble myself. Pray and seek his face. Ask him for mercy for my family and for people that I don't know. Because, you know, ultimately it's not just about what's going on in the here and now. Ultimately it's about souls and eternity. One thing I love about Pastor Paul is he constantly keeps bringing us back to that reality that there is an eternity that we must all face. And though we may be angry in a moment because of certain things that God allows, we must always understand God has an eternal perspective. He's just not locked in the here and the now. We're, we'll be upset because someone that we love so dear is gone. But if they died in the Lord, if they died in the Lord, they're with him. So we must always have the eternal perspective that though, though it's difficult, God, though his anger lasts, the Bible says, but for a moment, but for a moment, his anger is just for a moment. 
because ultimately what he's after is the eternal, what's about what is about the eternal purpose that God has. It's the eternal purpose. And I feel personally that for a long time, the church, the reason why our message has changed and we only start talking about prosperity and people having a good life is because we lost eternal perspective and we start focusing on the here and now. And it's not that God doesn't want people to have a wonderful life here and now, but this, can I use my bad English and say, but this ain't all there is. <laughs> this is not the end of the story. And God is always going to keep the eternal perspective. And so even if we are angry with him and upset, don't you know God's got the guts to let us be mad at him because he knows what he is seeking to do in our lives is ultimately for our good. Bless the Lord today. Thank you, Lord. Come on, bless the Lord. Give him my hand today.